episode six of All's Fair in Love and Film, a film review podcast where we, a married couple, go through our DVD collection in alphabetical order, reviewing each one. I'm Laura. And I'm Ryan. And this week, we'll be giving you a double bill. We're first, dis- we're going to be discussing both films kind of in tandem. We're discussing Alien uh, from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott, and Aliens from 1986, directed by James Cameron. I... I lo- First of all, I love this franchise. I love it. There are some individual films that I like less than others, which we will get into. But yeah. the Alien, Predator, Alien vs. Predator franchise is just something I adore. And I watched Aliens when I was perhaps a little too young to have done so. Uh, what about you, Ryan? What's your kind of history with both of these movies? Oh, God. I actually don't remember the first time I saw these films. I remember the first like rewatch that was quite vivid of alien and that was in what like first year of uni like like i remember specifically watching it with my first year roommate and my first year roommate was being it was absolutely terrified of it because they had never seen it before but um i i remember it being very very dark really cool but yeah apart from that it was it was definitely probably one of one of the better horror films I remember from uni. So you saw Alien before you saw Aliens? Yes, very much so. See, my experience is, is different. I saw Aliens when I was, I couldn't have been older than 10. I think I was even younger than that. And I don't have a great relationship with horror films. I, even the simplest, most kind of campy horror films scare the living daylights out of me. But sci-fi horror has always been this exception in my heart. I love sci-fi horror. And Aliens was one I saw like again probably too young to have done so but uh it really stuck with me and it's always been one of my favorites and i didn't see alien until much later because weirdly i had heard from friends that it wasn't as good as the second one it was one of those weird ones i'd only ever seen the second one and people were like oh that's fine because the first one isn't as good and got to argue after watching them back to back for this for this podcast i couldn't disagree more i think alien is fantastic but i think i must have been in college maybe bordering on first year of university when i saw alien um Mm. so it's a big big gap there i had a lot of time when i had seen predator i'd seen uh, alien versus predator but i had and i'd seen aliens but had not seen alien i i I think uh, i've just kind of realized the first time i saw aliens though was at field school i at my archaeological field school and when i was my second year of uni and i i remember like the field director was doing these very uh choosing very campy films and that was one of the ones that they really liked i don't and think aliens is campy i think it's very kind of it, it's peak james cameron really <laughs> is, is what it is and i do think it kind of it is kind of cheesy in some ways uh, it, it's a good sequel but it's very a uh, James Cameron sequel. Oh man, I love that movie. I can't even. It's it's so good. I, I although I do remember the part in Titanic where the xenomorph jumps from the iceberg and kills everybody. Yeah, yeah. Best that was the best. Uh, <laughs> that best would ending. be peak James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> James Cameron, savior of the sea. <laughs> We've been watching a bit too much South Park recently. Um. Anyway, back to back to the podcast. Uh. 
So we watched Alien and Alien uh, Aliens. Ugh. We have a box set on DVD. I I think I got it. I think I got it for my birthday as a teenager, and still didn't watch Alien for absolutely years. But I have the. Um, it's called the Ultimate Destruction Collection, which has. Um, so it's it's it came. I got that before Predators came out. So it has the four Alien movies, the first two Predator movies, and. Um, the two Alien versus Predator movies. So we ha- are working our way through those and we'll be covering covering Aliens 3 and 4 next week and Alien versus Predator the week after that. Uh, we watched the director's cut of both of these so there may be some discrepancies in the things we talk about compared to the theatrical release but the basic plot beats are the same. So Alien. We open to the crew of the Nostromo who are a kind of merchant crew in deep space in hypersleep on the way back from mission. They're woken up um, unexpectedly to land on this planet. A uh, face hugger attaches itself to a crew member. He's brought back on board. They take off. The face hugger lays an embryo into him, which obviously becomes the xenomorph. They start hunting down this creature only to find that it grows quite uh, large and is incredibly deadly. Uh, the crew start hunting it down. It picks them off one by one. And the only survivors at the end of the film um, are Ripley, our wonderful heroine for this franchise. I think she's brilliant. And her cat, Jonesy, who uh, jettison off in the escape pod. And event um, the creature stows away. They manage to kick it out of the airlock. And she manages to escape unhindered. Well, probably very traumatized, but otherwise unhurt and um the sequel aliens we pick up immediately after this in theory ripley is exactly where we left her as is jonesy they're in the uh, cryo sleep chamber um and her last you know diary entry at the end of alien was that it should take her about six weeks to get back to earth or back to the zone that is controlled by people that might may pick her up we find out very quickly in aliens that this is not the case it's been 57 years and um ripley tries to get back into civilian life kind of off camera for the most part we we jump a few weeks into the future and ripley has you know found herself a job piloting one of those amazing um those autobot kind of loaders that are that are pretty cool um but the people who uh owned the ship the nostromo that she self-destructed at the end of alien want to know what happened and they've lost contact with the colony that is now established on the planet where the alien ship was they cajole ripley into accompanying a crew of um militia of marines that's the word i'm looking for they talk ripley into accompanying a crew of marines up there the crew find that there there are many aliens now because a small salvage squad have stumbled upon the ship and awoken them and provided them with a whole colony's worth of bodies to lay eggs in and they end up again the crew end up picked off one by one ripley rescues a young survivor of the colony called newt the two of them and jonesy end up taking on the alien queen mother blowing her up and again escaping into space um so that's our two films and these films are quite tonally different despite the fact that they are they're sequels and they're very good sequels i think they do very much you know aliens honors alien quite well yeah i I i would definitely agree with that i do think that they're two vastly different types of films the first being a horror a space horror and the second one being a space action film like i mean yeah there's a bit of overlap in in both but they they completely have 
like very very different cinematic styles they've got very different set dressing styles it, it they've got completely different like effects like there's so many things that are so different but at the same time so similar it's it, it's really really interesting to kind of it's it, it's very clear that another director had taken over the franchise at yeah, that point yeah yeah i guess what i really like about it is that there's this shift in tone um you obviously alien is very much a sci-fi horror it's you don't you get the very stereotypical kind of you don't get a good look at the creature until it's already killed several people and it has already become this big object of fear you don't get to see it there's a lot of the, un- the unknown is, is more scary yeah. than, than the scene yeah exactly as the uh the tagline of the of the film says uh, in space no one can hear you scream it's this very unknown so you start off with all this kind of bright light there's all these people together just chatting trying to problem solve this hospital is very well lit the kind of dining table where they have all their conversations is very well lit and then gradually the set gets darker and darker until they're you know running through pitch black corridors escaping this thing and that's a very horror movie style thing and then we have aliens which we know what the enemy looks like now i think they would struggle to make another horror film that was quite so hard hitting because we know you know we've seen the alien we saw we saw the first film we know what the xenomorph looked like we know what it's capable of so now we're sending a squad of marines in again these are very like capable people they're going to go in and make a big splash rather than go and like creep around this immediately juxtaposed with the kind of the nostromo's crew in the first film are civilians they're they're merchants they're out on you know salvage missions and stuff they're they're doing stuff for a, for like a corporation whereas then in aliens we're sending this crew of marines in so it's going to be a lot harder to scare these people and make them kind of sneak around. You need an all guns blazing genre for this crew of Marines to, to go into. Yeah. I mean, it, there, it also does hit like alien very focuses very much on like the individual kind of perspective in terms of like, like the, it, like it's more focused on the individual crew members rather than, um, in Alien, it, t- it seems to be kind of addressing everybody as a whole. Yeah, yeah. very much addressing w- w- them yeah. as a unit. And, and that's also mirrored specifically, uh, mir- mir- mirrored very much in the cinematography as well. Like, yeah. if, if you like look at the first one, you've got um, so many perspective shots so that you can kind of, s- like, you're always being either put in the perspective of uh, the person being afraid of the xenomorph or the, the z- you're put into the perspective of the xenomorph kind of creeping up on on, uh, yeah yeah, watching or creeping up um on its victim but in uh very much the second second film it's it's a lot more kind of like just general very cinematic looking shots like there's a lot less forced perspective and more kind of subjective or it's not subjective uh but uh, objective shots where you're more kind of being you're seeing everything that's going on and it, there's it's, yeah it, it's less less forced perspective i guess yeah and i just to kind of build on that i think um when the cinematography comes to play with the plot as well it highlights that so in alien they're th- at first the crew think they're looking for the small kind of shriveled fetus looking thing that burst out of the guy's chest in the mess hall they don't realize that th- until later that the thing is growing and growing rapidly until it's you know taller than your average human 
And so they split up. Their first instinct is to split up, kind of do a sweep and look for it. And um, our first, uh, alien's first victim is killed during during this part. And in as the crew are picked off one by one, there's only two crew members that die in each other's company. Whereas the rest are like, the first one is he enters the um, the large hangar and it's very dark, but there's all this space around him. He's just this point of light all by himself. And it kind of uses the cinematography to really exacerbate the character's loneliness. And then when the captain is killed, he's in a, again, very interesting use of space. He's in this very small tunnel and he's crept up on and they're like, it's coming for you. And they don't know which direction it's coming from. But again, he's in darkness. He's alone. And he it, this time, the small kind of claustrophobic space is used to show him in this isolation whereas in aliens we've established this group of marines they banter each other they they tell jokes the you know they're very much comfortable with each other they're a, they're a team and they tend to be taken by the alien or be killed in to in teams in twos or threes so um they're picked off from behind while walking as part of the unit or um you know, uh, Vasquez and the other character whose name escapes me. There's a lot of them to keep track of. Oh, uh, which one? The, the one who who dies with Vasquez in the tunnel. Uh, but 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 that's uh, uh, the guy. The, the actor is Bill Paxton. Okay, yeah, Bill Paxton's character. If that, hopefully that's correct. Hudson. 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 Okay, so he, um, you know, in a very kind of camera moment of camaraderie, she can no longer walk, and and he. Um, goes and they you know it's very much a kind of team dynamic which is much more of the kind of war slash action movie trope than it is of the horror movie trope whereas horror movies the part the the scary thing is being alone um in reference to what you said about the first film with uh alien with the captain like it that's very very meant to kind of enforce a bit of helplessness and in terms of like just using all those th- those were very much forced perspectives to kind of like make that make him being uh be isolated and, and lonely and very much helpless but yeah like like exactly exactly you're eh, you're completely right uh, about all those other perspective shots and stuff like that i will say there's even little aspects of alien like these scenes within aliens that you can kind of see in avatar like the the same like kind of the same very much same framing as what Jim Cameron's done in Avatar. I haven't seen Avatar in many many years. You'll have to uh, enlighten me. I watched it on lockdown, so uh, <laughs> uh, very much the same kind of like two shots. I feel like uh, when they storm when uh, in Avatar when they storm the compound, they get at near the end of the film it really mirrored a lot of the aspects of uh when they stormed the compound in the second in the second film uh to find out what happened to the the uh colonists it, it, there was a lot of mirrored story beats there okay so i, I kind of saw that coming um mm. yeah I don't, I don't know like i think from just a general kind of cinematography point of view i like the first one better because it, it, it's a it's a lot more cerebral and it feels like the cinematography is very much more thought through i feel like the set design is far more 
like engrossing like they're like everything kind of feels like run down everything kind of mm. like per- has it feels like a completely fleshed out world like the the details on every single like surface like there's so many different stickers that like that kind of really make it completely fleshed out all the screens look like purposefully like it looks like everything's been retrofitted everything has kind of this really like well we've not given a shit about this vessel for or, or sorry let me rephrase this vessel has been running for years and years and years and we're gonna put the bare minimum effort into kind of maintain it because we're kind of running on the cheap eh. yeah um also just like just like the little props that are put everywhere just really really make make every little detail uh, like make the whole thing pop yeah again it's it's part of that um the contrast of the action genre versus the horror genre obviously we have finite space to play in in both films because it's a certain area in the first film it's the nostromo and in the second film it's the is the compound on the planet that has been infested with in the first film one alien in the second film many so we've got this finite space and i think again it's part of that horror genre so a lot of horror films your kind of classic horror films are scarier because you are stuck in one place i mean there's plenty of horror films where you know our victims are stuck in hotels or you're stuck in you know in the saw films you're stuck in kind of a room and that's what kind of exacerbates it, it gives it more stakes it's like a, you are stuck here and you have to either beat this thing so you can reclaim this territory or you will lose and you will die and that's part of the stakes of a horror film whereas i think the action genre needs a bit more space to play in so i suppose if you've got this the nostromo this ship you're going to pay more attention to the aesthetics of making it this kind of lived in worked in you know it's just these people who are here whereas the compound has a lot more you know there's a bit more of a professional element they're there as terraformers so there's a lot more kind of science spaces and things like this although i really enjoy the sets in aliens because the the compound sets really give me kind of strong portal to the video game vibes yeah, yeah. love it I, I i i can definitely see that yeah like the kind of or even portal one the kind of behind the scenes areas that you end up in and you're like you know there's air ducts there's you know all these things kind of in the background that are this kind of warehouse vibe which is pretty cool it's almost like you've got a very high stakes like laser tag game going on in there yeah um, <laughs> which I, is awesome i i i guess part of the reason why i, got, I don't feel like the set design is as good as in the first one is the first this um the second one kind of just looked like everything kind of had been furnished with like leftovers from um, the Terminator in a lot of ways, mm. which I, I guess it's partially James Cameron's auteur <laughs> that kind of creates like I, I like I guess that's in his imagination. That's kind of what he wants to use. But everything just felt really it felt very cookie cutter 80s kind of uh, like it. I feel like I feel like I've seen all this this I've feel like i've seen the set uh before i've seen the props before it didn't really kind of excite me like the first one did like i i guess every little bit of the ship uh, of the ship in the first one had personality it felt lived in the second the this uh the whole set in this in the second film just felt like okay this is clearly a set like it didn't look yeah. like anybody had been living there actually or, yeah or, i yeah, would agree with it, you yeah or it like even in like the science areas, they just either they look like they were purposefully like 
like battered up or they've been purposely like made to look a little too like clean a yeah set. <laughs> yeah it, it, it didn't it didn't have that character it didn't have that that just good feel to it yeah um, i would actually really agree with that because on the nostromo in the first film it's very obviously you know this crew live here the engineering deck is very much the domain of the two characters that are responsible for it whereas in the second film they have to have two kids driving around on um you know the Wayland yutani corp branded trikes in just to make it feel like a kind of home yeah i was gonna say that actually kind of Th- that kind of gave me a little bit of vibes from uh the shining you know when uh yeah. when uh danny's riding on his little trike yeah it, it, they even use this, a similar type of um steady steady uh steady cam shot as well oh, so i was like yeah, is that a nod to that meh probably not but still <laughs> it's 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 cool yeah um although i will say do you think that the set design is one of the things in Aliens that suffers from sequel sequel syndrome because the first film obviously establishes a lot of things like how the aliens build nests and how they move about and the kind of mechanics that not only the the kind of monster needs to move around but also that the humans need to sort of evade that. So the second film set design in some respects is hemmed in by those requirements. Would uh, you agree? I would not agree because I feel like in in both the kind of the biopolymer resin that the, that the creature makes is the same is, is the same but like that kind of set design worked really, really well and that that worked in both. I didn't really like i guess it seemed like they maybe and james cameron's one it made it look like he spent all the money on that rather than and and on the alien yeah. queen rather than the actual set design yeah but, I mean, maybe uh, i'd agree with that yeah. because i i prefer the look of the alien kind of biopolymer and the nesting kind of the like optics of that in the first one because it's it's creepier when it's this small enclave that this creature has made for itself within your home. Whereas it was bigger, you know, James Cameron turned it all the way up to 11 and makes this huge nest in aliens. And it's a bit more like, okay, yes, this is the space where this creature lives Mm. rather than it's like, Oh, this is like an insidious thing that has grown in the heart of our ship. It's very much like the first one is meant to be, it's dark and the way that it was lit, the way it was filmed it's very dark to kind of really make it more insidious like you're saying yeah for sure for sure whereas the uh the nest in in aliens is obviously above this reactor which is is lit in this kind of red light and yeah. it's uh it's very like well lit. again it's this kind of action film where you're in the enemy's lair rather than this horror film where it's this insidious thing that's crept yeah. up on you i i want to know like how the hell the aliens secrete this resin or biopolymer because it doesn't really make any sense to me like it's like spiders spinning webs in it yeah but like i guess where are they spinning it are, are they like like puking it out or like well i said uh, they secrete it so i assume it's like a kind of sweat maybe it's uh like if you if we're going to get super biological into this about something that isn't real i as from like a kind of non-expert biological perspective i would hazard a guess that it was intended that it's almost like a byproduct of the acids of the acid spit and the acid like thing that it does so it's got to have like a way of 
getting rid of that acid product in a way that's non-harmful to the in a way that's non-harmful to the creatures that it's you know keeping captive so if it was to just like oh i'm just going to burn you with acid to make you stay where you are it could damage the hosts so maybe it's like a kind of sweat product that is this waste product of this acid like acid spit that they then use as you know this polymer to um keep their hosts like trapped well or uh similar to that it, they could um eat a little bit of uh, of like uh, like metal or like they might like spit out the acid use the metal uh, like kind of like eat some of the metal that's kind of partially melted and maybe that and then they kind of like kind of like a spittle and turn it into mm-hmm. and turn it into like kind of like how certain uh certain birds will 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 eat um will eat grass and spit it out to kind of make their nests but like yeah c- kind of like that like kind of like Possibly. that could be. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's an alien and it makes this byproduct and it keeps our friends and allies trapped in a horrendous web. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um I also comparing that to the to the first one. That's a big reveal in the first film obviously that oh, the people we think have been killed are actually still alive and in this horrendous situation of gestating new alien killing machines. And that's like oh it's quite scary kind of thing like that's like a big makes the whole thing even more chilling and insidious it's like this thing is smart enough to know that it has to keep people alive it's not just a dumb killing machine and then obviously by the time we get to aliens we know that that's going to happen and throughout both films it's very much that oh by the time the person is in the like biopolymer resin and they are stuck up on the wall and they are like dying it's too late for them Yet in Aliens, Ripley is able to go and rescue Newt from that situation. She's been stuck in there, but she's fine. <laughs> like, that yeah. was a bit of a kind of... I would have preferred it at that point, maybe, because Newt's been established as a character that can get into small spaces and hide, which she does do on multiple occasions in the film to, like, save herself. Um, Like, if, if she maybe had was kind of hiding in a space but was like in a position where they knew the aliens knew where she was and were like blocking her in or maybe she'd accidentally hidden in a small space that happened to be in their like nesting area but it just kind of for me it was a bit of a like a oh come on that it's like oh of all the people the aliens have captured and like implanted eggs into and stuck up on the wall the one person that we're rooting to get rescued was stuck up on the wall but she's fine yeah, it was a bit too convenient. Yeah. A bit, yeah, like, I don't know, like, that, I hate to say it like this, that's very much James Cameron's kind of action movie kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, on, at the same time, I, I love the Ripley rescuing Newt arc. It's, you know, it's the evolution of her attaching attachment to Jonesy and rescuing him in the first movie and I'll get more into that the kind of play on like what these things mean for Ripley's character in a bit because I could do a podcast just on Ellen Ripley I think she's wonderful Uh, she's uh, one of the most the ultimate you know sci-fi action heroines but um just on this kind of plot point about Newt kind of thing um I would never rob Sigourney Weaver of the line get away from her you bitch while in the kind of space bot suit ready to fight the alien queen i would like you need the rescuing newt for her to be able to say that line so you know what she can rescue newt from whatever hokey circumstances she likes 
she is saying that line and I am loving it every time I hear it. I think that the that last like 15 minutes of the film is probably the most cinematic and the most like visceral in the, a lot of oh, ways. God, I, yeah. I, I, I do think that's the best part of the film, like hands down. Yeah, I mean, like, of all of the film, I, I love these movies. I've watched them multiple times um, over the years. and But, you know, I'm a millennial. I will sit and scroll on my phone while I'm watching films and absorbing media. But that last sequence in Aliens, where she's defeating the Queen, she's in the space box, she's got the, the guns like taped together, and she's just this amazing action heroine. Can't take my eyes away from it. I think it's sensational. Um, kind of going back to Alien. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the last portion of that film was a lot better just because it kind of felt a bit more directed and a bit more wholesome. I I mean, for me, the stakes feel higher. Yeah, the stakes definitely felt higher. It also felt very much like it felt more tactile in the, in the way that Ripley had to kind of really think through everything she's doing. She had like, she's always on edge. Just uh, like, uh, like when she interacts with props, it feels a little bit more like thought through. It, it looks very, very much real, very much manic, really like yeah, it, it, it's, it's very believable, but in the other, but in, in James Cameron's, it feels very much like, it's it's very much yes this is a film this is kind of like okay action action like scene take all the boxes okay cool let's move on you know yeah no i but, i actually really agree with you there because it's definitely the case that you know we've got ripley who at the end of the day she's a she's a badass she's a hard ass we've established this throughout her character throughout this film um but we really get you know her character definitely develops over the film. And it, at this point, we know she's scared. We know that this is her, like, kind of last-ditch effort. We know she's alone. We know she has finite resources because she's in this escape pod. So she's got to use what she's got. We go back to this, what I talked about, with building tension in 2001, A Space Odyssey, with just the quiet and the heavy breathing. As she's putting... She's kind of gets herself into that cupboard and she's putting on this um the space suit and she's got this plan and it relies on her being perfectly quiet and moving perfectly slowly and everything going right so the stakes as a as a viewer feel a lot higher whereas in james cameron's uh aliens the stakes are clearly very high because it's it's newt's life but instead of this kind of very nuanced character driven you know small space kind of stakes seem small but because of how it's filmed and how it's kind of staged it seemed like the stakes are heightened you it's it's the stakes are very obviously it's heightened like with a boxing glove to your face because it's like this alien is 20 times as big as all the other ones and that's what he uses to heighten the stakes rather than this tense kind of situation we get in yeah. escape pod in aliens i think that's kind of what you were getting at yeah yeah very very much so that and uh like it, yeah, subtlety is is really what I think James Cameron lacks in the second one. Yeah, um, which to be honest, I still very much enjoy it. Kind of going <laughs> on from your point about two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of aspects about the technology in this 
in, in the first film specifically that very much felt like almost a kind of a nod to 2001 Space Odyssey. Well, yeah, I mean, 2001 and, laid yeah. the foundation for yeah. all of this kind of space travel and what that looks and feels like. Yeah, it, it just kind of felt like it was very much... It, let me rephrase. It very much seemed like, okay, this is what happens when 2000... Like, the world that we see in 2001 a Space Odyssey goes tits up or just kind of goes uber capitalist to the point yeah. of just it's yeah it, 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 it's very relatable capitalism <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know like it, it it feels it feels like it could definitely be within that universe in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways yeah no i would agree with that i would agree with that you get a lot of the kind of same sort of tangibility to what's what's being dealt with and the same kind of there's no overly cerebral it's, it's all it all looks like things that we as a lay person could envisage ourselves knowing how to use you know yeah. it's you know there's there's a method to doing this it's like oh yeah though no, i could fully put myself in the shoes of that character because i think i could you know pull those levers and do this thing and it's this really tangible future uh, and it allows like a degree of self-insert which again heightens the kind of tension in in both 2001 a space odyssey and in alien um, yeah, so the last kind of thing that I want to say, comparing the two final scenes, is, again, it's this highlight of this disconnect between Alien being a horror film and Aliens being an action film. In, and it's it's also kind of ties into Ripley's character development. In Alien, as I've said, we get to this point where she's in this escape pod, she has this moment of relief where she thinks it's all over, and then it the hand comes out and she realizes oh no now it's all or nothing um whereas in so in this one she's completely unprepared for this final showdown and that's what makes the again heightens the stakes makes you feel even more tense you know and it, it does everything a horror film kind of aims to achieve and it sets ripley up as the like the last girl trope in a horror film so whereas ripley doesn't tend to embody the characteristics of your stereotypical last girl um, but in Alien and in the horror film genre, she she kind of is. And she's this, like, she emerges victorious against all odds, you know, battered from the experience, traumatised from the experience, and all of her friends are dead and she doesn't know what to do going forward. Whereas she's kind of a last girl in Aliens. Her and Newt are the only survivors. Um, other than, I guess, Bishop's shredded remains. Um, but she instead of not no oh no hang on that guy survived as well michael bain yeah yeah um hicks yeah hicks hicks was his yeah name. he survived as well. i always forget about him which i don't think is a bad thing because it shows that the star of the show is really uh ripley which you know you can't go wrong was with. it ever not though <laughs> it's very true but i mean for an action movie in the 80s it's very easy to put the the male character into more of a spotlight but all the way through Ripley keeps her keeps her spotlight and not just by being this badass woman who kicks she does very different things throughout uh, again I could do a whole podcast just on Ellen Ripley she but she keeps it fresh she shows very clear character development she learns and she thinks and she like you can see the impact of her experiences on her as the story progresses rather than it being okay this movie is over and now in the second film she's dealing with the trauma of that and now this movie is over in the third film she's dealing with the trauma of that it's like no you can see the impact of the things that are happening as they happen and it informs her character going forward but anyway 
I could go on. <laughs> in At the end of Aliens, she is prepared for that showdown. She knows exactly what she's facing. She knows where she's going to find it. She knows what she's going to do to it. She tapes two guns together. She knows she's only got a very finite amount of minutes. She knows the stakes are really high. She wants to rescue this girl. And again, it's it's the end point of her. We see Ripley as this kind of hard ass. She At the start of Alien, she won't let them on the ship. They're all like, oh, he's going to die. He's going to die. And she's like, no, you know procedure. She's Everyone disagrees with her. Everyone second guesses her. You get the vibe that she's not particularly well liked. And that vibe continues through Aliens. But then she's got this added layer of being this kind of more traumatised person. But we see this sweetness to her when she saves the cat. She saves Jonesy. She hugs him, keeps him safe, puts him in the same kind of cryopod as her. You know, she she is it shows this more kind of tender part of her character which is then driven even further forward by newt in the second film mm. and it's this end point of her you know having rescued this cat she's going to go rescue this girl and she's going to go in all guns blazing to do it which fully disconnects the two between being a horror film with ripley as this last girl and this action film with her as this really prepared badass action hero so is newt the cat yeah, uh, I'm. I'm, n- I'm not. <laughs> Newt gonna li- is the Jonesy proxy. I'm not gonna lie. I Newt. I don't really like Newt as a character. I, I guess I'm not a big fan of of, of kids in films like this because they they're just kind of they're kind of annoying and I I don't know. I, like I I felt like they could have done this with another like like younger character, but they didn't need to make the kid like that young. I I guess. I don't know. I, like I think Newt is adorable. I'm not a fan of kids in films. I am famous as despising the Home Alone films. I don't like kids in films. They annoy me. Especially kids in... If it's a film about kids, fair enough. I just won't watch it. If it's a good grown-up film with kids in it, it they tend to be a very like high annoyance to me. However, I like Newt because she's kind of a badass. Like... There's points where they, they're like, are you okay? And she gives them this very like sarcastic, sardonic like thumbs up. Um, she's like survived. She refuses to talk to any of these brash men and all of this stuff. And she's she's a pretty cool kid. But then they they at times they kind of get rid of her coolness and they change they change her personality to fit the setting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Like it and it's quite egregiously done, you know. At times she's like yeah, I'm a badass. I'm kind of a rude kid. I'm not going to trust anybody. And then they do put a lot of effort into encouraging her guard being let down around Ripley. But to like, she kind of unpromptedly kind of talks like a baby and then at the end calls Ripley mommy. It's like she's old enough to remember her mom. Her mom didn't die that long ago. You wouldn't call the first person who's nice to you after that mommy. Although I haven't undergone the kind of trauma that these characters have, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I still don't. like. Again, I, I felt like it could have been... The character of Newt could have been slightly different and I think it would have been a lot more impactful. Like, yeah. I, I, I just don't... I, I don't know. It's like you either want her as this kind of sarcastic badass kid or you want her as this resourceful but very young still clings on to a doll's head kind of. I mean they're using the doll's head and her like youth and this kind of babyish voice to be like this is a very vulnerable character, feel bad for this character, worry about this character. But and then they kind of endear you to endear her to you by making her this t- little tough nut, but it's just like at times, those two al- elements of her personality kind of rub up ag- against each other, and you're like, "Hang on, is this the same kid?" 
Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I'm just not a big fan, to be honest. Um, do you mind if we talk about some of, like, the weirder uh, film tropes that are just very 1980s-y? Oh, absolutely. Um, like the... Uh, like in uh, Aliens, the unprepared lieutenant, like that—that that seems to be a, in any type of military film. That's very much like, oh yeah, the commanding officer is just a fucking hapless. idiot, yeah, yeah. A hapless <laughs> idiot who doesn't know the hell he's doing, and and, th- and then the really the rules yeah. to everybody's detriment, <laughs> yeah, and the um and the really really like liked sergeant or you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean I-, I will have to say the sergeant was probably one of my favorite characters in that film. Because he had a sense of humor, but was very, 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 like, hard. Yeah. No, it's 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 a well-played-out character trope for a reason. It's because it's a character that works. It's the character that, like, he doesn't have to be sent a stage for you to want to root for him. And that's, that's I, I really, like, that's a trope I like a lot. Yeah, that, w- that was really good. Um, also, like, some of the, just the trope, like, the, like, the, the tropes of the way a few of the people like in aliens um the mechanics like what they were wearing just felt very yeah, yeah, yeah. like definitely like 1980s kind of yeah vibes. again it's it's part of that um the ambition of stuff like that is to allow an element of self-insert for you to see things that you recognize and be like oh i can relate to that yeah yeah so which is really really interesting um something that i missed while we're on the subject of kind of characters and character tropes of like Around this time, we're getting a lot of artificial intelligence and artificial people. So we've got um, Hal in 2001 Space Odyssey kind of introducing this idea of a, of a, of a non-real crew member. And then at this time, we've got Star Trek in uh, with uh, Star Trek Next Generation with Lieutenant Commander Data, who is, who's an android as well. And in the first Alien film, we have Ash who turns out to be the villain of the piece, who is, has been programmed to bring the alien home at the expense of the crew. And then in Aliens, we have Bishop, who heroically sacrifices his uh, life at the end uh, in order to save the crew, save Ripley and Newt. Um, I was always under the impression there's somehow I missed it. In this watching, I picked up... Like, I don't know how I missed it because it's in this very, you know, kind of the white, gory, you know, the android's been eviscerated kind of scene um, when they find out that Ash is responsible for all this. I thought they knew, maybe I'm getting, because I was getting confused with Aliens, Alien 2, and where everyone knows Bishop is an android. I just assumed they knew Ash was an android. No, no, no. I thought that, I, <laughs> like. I think it's pretty obvious, but I just didn't pick up on it until this watching. It seemed very much like, like, you're meant to think something's off with him, like something's like really dark and mischievous about Ash. Also, Ian Holm is a fucking good actor, like oh God, fucking yeah. amazing. I think like, he's great. He's really good yeah. in this film. Yeah, but like it, like his kind of the way Ian Holm played Ash is yeah, like you're meant to feel uneasy. You're meant to feel like there's something definitely wrong, and I do think. The way that they revealed him as being an android was really, really good. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, How much do you feel like... Because, again, it's going to be a bit different because... Uh, obviously, they don't know Ash is an android. Um, and then Bishop is meant to be this later model that's more kind of... It's less glitchy, more lifelike. 
I guess, how, how much do you think they kind of play on these existing stereotypes of artificial intelligence that come from characters like Hal and, and Data and... Uh, very much. I, I think C-3PO that... C-3PO even. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they definitely played on, like, the... Played on that to a large extent with, like, kind of the idea that, okay, an upgrade can fix things that were, like, that can uh, make things better. But I do think that they also lent on the... on um like Ripley's unease with androids as in general to kind of make you kind of second guess what the deal was with um, Bishop. So you're like, oh, oh yeah. wait, is he going to turn on them? Uh, and then, yeah. you know, like at the very end when he, when she's like, oh God, he's just fucking flown off. What a bastard. Yeah. yeah. And but, he, yeah. he actually is doing the exact opposite yeah. of Ash and is taking, like is risking his own life in order to save them all yeah. and ends up, it ends up costing him his life. So, I thought he didn't die. I thought they'd. Oh were yeah, able to no, put him he's in. just like ripped in half in a containment unit. Yeah. <laughs> the anyway, um, yeah. So this this whole question of like of this artificial intelligence kind of thing in that, yeah, it's I really like that carry through because it adds an element of personal stakes to Ripley, and it yeah, like you say, keeps you second guessing. And I think it was really well, kind of, of course, a person who had been put through all that trauma at the hands of an android would feel this way towards an android that's being put on this mission and i i did think that was really good i think maybe they could have played up to it more because bishop is sweet and nice and lovely throughout the whole aliens movie and i i don't know how much i agree with that kind of choice because we've established androids as basically a commodity that can be hacked in the first film. And I just wonder at James Cameron's kind of choice in making Bishop this kind of ultimate hero at the end. Like, I, think I kind it was... of, I like it. I like them subverting, like, Ripley's and the audience's expectations based on the first film. But it's just like, why, I guess, I guess it's like, why did he feel the need to have this redemption for androids as a kind of class in this franchise i guess it could have been just to show like not all technology is inherently evil i guess and like interesting but i don't know i i do feel like there's a lot of different ways that they could have played that he could have played with that but i do think he probably chose the right way to deal with kind of androids and i mean I think he mainly chose him just to uh, he chose to use Bishop mainly because Bishop would uh, like having an android on on the crew would make Ripley feel uneasy and yeah like it was I I think anything like any other plot a- aspect was kind of secondary secondary yeah no I do think it's good it kind of fleshes out uh, Ripley's character more and gives her um just like a smaller kind of personal thing to kind of bounce off against it's not just her against this huge insurmountable alien thing she's also got small kind of personal hurdles um this being you know quite a major one based in her trauma i thought that was you know really really interesting um oh yeah that uh the guy who blew himself up with vasquez his name was gorman Mm. gorman I, i did write it down um um, we haven't actually talked about Burke that much, who turns out to be the real villain. And I think this actually, like, it just got me thinking about it when we were talking about Bishop. So obviously Ripley is anticipating Bishop to be untrustworthy. We can maybe splice this in earlier, if that helps. Um, 
Yeah, I think contrasting Burke's character with Bishop's is really interesting because um, you've got Bishop as, you know, this character that Ripley doesn't want to trust, doesn't trust at all, won't even give the time of day, who slowly proves himself through doing various, very self-sacrificial tasks um, to the actually, you know, saving the day at the end of the film and saving Ripley and Newt's lives, to Burke, who kind of slimes and cajoles his way into Ripley's trust. And he even makes the audience trust him, like... You know, you think he's this very hapless, nice guy who, at the end of the day, he's a corporate stooge, but he can't help that. That's just his job. And he, you, you think he's kind of rooting for Ripley and is, is, is helping out. And he turns out to be the mastermind behind this whole thing. He not only is responsible for sending Newt's family to the alien side for salvage, he's al- he also actively tries to kill both Ripley and Newt um, because he's a toxic man and thinks that only women should be impregnated with things. Um, I don't think it's I don't <laughs> think it's that I, I I think it's more of the fact that it was they were the two people who were most out at that point horrifically like sexist undertones though it's like he could have he he knew that they were sort of getting on to him and, and like they nobody trusted him at this point um but instead of you know he could have killed them and had the alien embryo implanted in one of the marines but instead he picks the two female characters one of which is like a minor to have them impregnated with the eggs and then conspires to kill the marines it's like he could have done it either way round like either one would have served his ends perfectly well it just yeah i i i, I, I really did i don't like it just that it makes my skin crawl i don't i don't i guess from a kind of striper perspective it makes sense for that kind of to happen to Ripley. Be, yeah. Be, uh, w- w- so I, I don't think that you can really vilify that character. I mean, yeah, the, the character is fucking horrible, but I don't think, like, I, I guess it, I do feel like you're reading a bit too much. I don't think I'm reading too much into I, it. I think I, it's, I, it's just, it's got these, these like, very violating, almost like sexual assault kind of vibes yes, that I, I, accompany I, it. And I, I just th- feel like inflicting that specifically on two female characters, it, it, it just that's, it gives that, me the that, heebie-jeebies and I that's really the dr- it. That's, if anybody's fault, that's fucking James Cameron's yeah, fault. Yeah, I'm saying it's James <laughs> Cameron's fault. But uh, I, 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 the way I looked at it, the way I looked at Burke was the fact that he kind of kind of represented the ruling class i kind of looked at it from kind of a marxist kind of like economic perspective um i kind of thought that it was you know like definitely the working class uh, everyone else other than fucking burke versus him so that's that that i found that to be really cool in my notes i kept on writing like yeah fucking eat the rich let let them fucking be fuck him (laughs) like yeah there's definitely like an anti-capitalist perspective to be taken on this because it's it's like oh this corporation has reached so far that they're trying they're putting these colonists at risk by putting them on this same planet that this that these aliens belong to and going even further than that they're they're trying they're reaching even further to uh, try and weaponize this alien um, and they, they're trying to use a bunch of people that aren't aware or are actively, you know, trying to save the day and kill the alien to achieve that. What it's, information do they have on this fucking alien? The first one doesn't make that clear. It makes it clear that they know it's there because they order the ship to be rerouted and the crew to be woken up and they program Ash to go and pick it up. So they know that it's there. So clearly in Aliens, they still know that it's there and they send a colony there and then they send 
Newt's family to go and investigate it. So they clearly still know it's there. Um, it might, might this might be uh, this might have been covered in uh, Prometheus or or uh, Alien Covenant. I don't know. I've not I've seen, seen either Prometheus once, and I didn't retain it. It's not that good. Fair enough. Doesn't have Michael Fassbender in it. It does. He plays another android. And Idris Elba. Don't remember. Okay, I I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I Burke's character was you know. I feel like he was a good level of smarmy for a villain in yeah. in, in, the, in like in in a James Cameron film, but <laughs> oh god, I, yeah, there's he, always he, the he, smarmy villain in James Cameron yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, he he did. Yeah, he, his whole character just streams. Okay, James Cameron archetype. Yeah, in, villain. in Titanic, you've got Cal, who's the slimy kind of uh, antagonist, and uh, yeah. you've got the fucking uh, general in. Uh, Avatar. Avatar, and same with the the capitalist uh, leader of of the of the uh, camp at in Avatar as well. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the more and more I realize it, James Cameron's stories are really really similar. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think there's a lot of similar beats, but at least there's there's sort of an underlying anti-capitalist message. I mean, it's rich coming from James you know, Cameron. James Cameron, who's an incredibly rich director. But still, he's trying. Yeah, yeah, cool. but um, but yeah, no, I I fully love both of these films. I really I, do. I I do too. But I I I love the first one way more. And to be honest, I I think I'd like if I had the chance, to, if I was given the choice of watching any any of the Alien films, yeah, I think I'd always go back to the first one just because it's it's just so good. And so so thought through, and so like like uh, Ridley Scott is probably one of the best world builders. Like mm. like what Definitely. he's able what he's able to do with Blade Runner. My God, that's still like that echoes still today, and so does oh, yeah. Alien. Like I love Blade Runner. Like it, these films have influenced countless. Um, modern day like either parodies or other other um other films like oh god like the fact that they're still making like alien films like alien covenant and prometheus that that really does that that really does kind of show how culturally important these films that just the film alien was yeah for sure i mean it's you know there's again I'm going to go back on about this, but as of 2001 Space Odyssey, we get all these films about disasters in space, like kind of big disasters that come from external forces. We have this idea of there being extraterrestrial life. We're introduced to this idea of maybe extraterrestrial life wants to kill us. And this is one of the seminal films in that. And we have countless films that do this subsequently. And But this is going to remain one of the best. It's going to remain the the seminal film for that oh extraterrestrial life exists and it wants to kill us yeah sci-fi horror kind of it's it's the top of it's the top of the food chain for that kind of thing it's oh absolutely so good and there is so much more we can say about these films like i said i could do a whole hour just talking about the character of ripley i think she's an incredible action heroine and then there's so much you know there's so much toxic masculinity and just men not listening to women and 
like in um Lambert in the first film, I think she's a really kind of harmful female stereotype in a lot of ways. But that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast. I think for now we just need to rate this film out of ten. Both of them. Individual ratings. What do you think, Ryan? Um, for Alien, I think I'd probably go an eight out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. And Alien's probably a seven or maybe even a six. Actually I'll I'll go with a six. Because I mean, it's Ooh. good. It's good, but it just screams James Cameron in not a good way. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of the points you've made about it. Like, especially since we've been dissecting it, and especially like this is the first time I have ever watched these films back to back. I've never watched them as like a double bill like we did in preparation for this podcast. We watched them over two days, so Alien was very fresh in my mind when I watched Aliens, and putting the two together like that really highlights some of the shortcomings of aliens but because i saw aliens when i was so young i have this real sentimental attachment to it so i'm gonna go as far as giving alien the first film gets like an 8.5 for me and aliens gets a 7.5 they are very closely matched for me but it just like alien edges aliens out just it's it's such a mu- it's a much more well put together film, but they both do really well with building tension, using kind of the cinematography and the the music and sound. Like sometimes silence is better to build tension, sometimes music is better to build tension, and they do that really really well across both films. But it's those little things, those little nuances, and the kind of element of self insert and imagining yourself in that position that makes Alien just this much more kind of nuanced viewing experience. I, you know what, fuck it. I, I think I'm actually going to go, instead of a um, an 8 for Alien, I think I'll actually go a 9, because it, it, it really is kind of, it is so, so culturally and kind of cinematically important in a lot of ways, and to be honest, I do just love watching it. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, that makes Alien... The best film we've watched so far. Yeah. On our podcast. The most highest rated one on our podcast. Um, and maybe that will continue when we decide to watch. We're watching Aliens 3 and 4 for next Friday. Um, doing another double bill. So another kind of choppy and changey discussion of, of co- and comparison of both the films. We hope you enjoyed our, enjoyed our show. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Music was Potato Deal by Craig MacArthur. The photo used for our cover is by Rodolfo Clicks. Audio editing is by Ryan DeRoges, and this podcast was produced by Laura and Ryan DeRoges. Find us on Twitter at AllSparePodcast. Or email us at AllSparePodcast.